John chapter 10, verse 10, I want you to see a scripture. It's actually the foundational scripture for our church. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. The thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Jesus, in a very small amount of time, answers a deep theological dilemma that many human beings wrestle with, which is, what is the causation of pain, trouble, and suffering? And he, he outlines it. He says this, that the devil's job is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if it steals from you, it tries to kill you, or it tries to destroy you, God didn't do it. Okay, that's really an important point because many of us will wrestle over that. Over why did this happen? Uh, my mom passed away. Um, as many of you know, uh, many years ago, several years, over a decade ago, um, with cancer. And the question became, um, who did it? And it's tempting to blame God when tough things happen in our life, isn't it? But what Jesus is saying, he's telling you very plainly that the enemy has tactics. Here's what they are so you can know them. All right? Now, Paul reinforces this to, to the Corinthian church, and he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. In order that the saint, or excuse me, in order that Satan might not outwit us. Listen, it's God's plan that you outsmart the devil every single time. Right? right? And here's what he says. He goes on, and he says, For we are not unaware of his schemes. See, the devil is very, he's very predictable. He is very predictable, and the Bible goes to great lengths to show us what he does. That's why I'm calling this message series Warring with the Gods, because there are three gods in which Satan comes to us in the form of. He comes to us in the form of a god of possessions, a god of pleasure, and a god of power. I'm gonna talk to you about the god of power today, but uh, we see all these gods in the garden when Eve is being tempted. Good for food, this is pleasure. Um, pleasing to the eye, this is I have to possess this shiny new object, that's, that's pleasure. And desirable for gaining wisdom, that's power. We see these three gods in the form of Satan um, bringing to him temptation in Matthew chapter four. Take these stones, Satan says, and turn them into bread, that's pleasure. Throw yourself down and see if God will save you. That's power in play. All these things, he says, bow down to me, worship me, and I'll give you all these things. That's the God of possessions. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, we see him again. These three gods that we're warring with. The writer says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the Flesh, pleasure, the lust of the eyes, possessions, and the pride of life, power, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Deuteronomy chapter six says this. And this has been our key text, this in Deuteronomy 11. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen says, be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. I've titled today's message, Fixing the Things That Break Us. Fixing the Things That Break Us. Now, when you hear these passages and 
say don't turn and follow other gods. Uh, many of you may be tempted to like immediately draw your attention to like you have like a physical idol in your house or I, I haven't murdered anyone so I don't have a, a God issue or any of those things and, and we hyper-spiritualize them and what we end up doing is we ignore the Bible's warnings about how these gods destroy our lives, how these gods steal from us, how they kill us. Now, I'm gonna break this down because I wanna be very plain. And if I, if I talk about you, know that I'm doing it unaware. I don't, I don't mean to make it personal, although I think I have to be very plain and very clear on these things. The God of power has some um, workings that we experience. The God of power has a spirit and attitude and mindset that says you can do it through human attainment alone. The God of power brings pressure to your life to live at a pace that's unsustainable. <laughs> Every parent that I've met over the last 20 years feels the pain of this pressure of this God of power in your life. Now, now listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my very best to make it clear and plain, okay? So this is, this is how this God manifests itself in our lives today for many of us in the world. It feels like this. <laughs> you go on vacation and you come home and you need a vacation after your vacation. I just wanna get myself in trouble with this distinction between a vacation and a trip. If you've got children, you haven't been on a vacation. You've been on a trip. <laughs> Once kids aren't in the picture, then you have room for a vacation. Somebody old enough to know what I'm saying, say amen to that. But it, it, that's how it feels. The God of power results in you being fatigued and pressure to run an unsustainable pace. I, I love you enough to tell you the truth and show you how this works in your life. You're following your kids all over God's green creation, spending money you don't have to do things you're not interested in and you don't even know if they're gonna be interested in two weeks from now. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's gonna get worse before it gets better. And it isn't just, that. listen, this isn't saying anything about you as a person. It's endeavoring to show the results of what this God wants to accomplish in your life, which ultimately results in disconnection from our Heavenly Father. That's what it's driving for. That, I'm, not a, I'm not against any of those things, but what I am against is the outside pressure to live and run at a pace that you cannot sustain. You're feeling it. The fatigue and the exhaustion are setting in. When more is going out physically, emotionally, and mentally, you're in a deficit and it's costing you. Cycles of self-sabotage are being created we live in a world that is overconnected. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and at your fingertips you can see a consensus of what all seven billion plus people on the planet are up to. 
Do you know that you were not wired for that much connectedness? I'm not against social media. I'm not against technology. What I think you need to understand is the moment you wake up and the first thing you do is look at this and start this, you're letting a whole bunch of stuff in that's causing you to be connected with the suffering and the pain of the world that you are not wired to handle and manage on your own. It's too much for you. And I love you enough to tell you that. Like the average person in 2022 is more connected to what's going on on the entire globe than President Reagan was. Think about it. You have more access to more information than the leader of the free world did just a few decades ago, right here. That's not sustainable. That's not sustainable, and that's why we're feeling the weight of what we're feeling. When we go from survival mode to success, it results in this mindset that says we're self-dependent and we don't need God and we don't need others and it's really incredibly dangerous. Okay, so let me, let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 11. This is God speaking to the children of Israel who he has just delivered out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and taken care of in the wilderness. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, listen very carefully, please. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all, all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions, he brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and by the strength of my hand have I produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to you and your ancestors. You read, this, you read the passage and you say, man, how in the world could those crazy Hebrew people take all that for granted? Water out of a rock? Man, if God ever did anything like that for me, I wouldn't forget him. Water out of a rock, manna from heaven. Flew in, overnight delivery, quail. And what I'm submitting to you is, we are no different than the children that wandered through the wilderness when we are blinded by the God of power and become deceived to think that we in and of ourselves can produce anything. It just comes in very modern forms that we ignore. Let me help you. Can I help you with this? 
when you're struggling financially? What do you do? You're on your knees, begging, asking God, God, give me a breakthrough. Do something for me. You gotta make a way. I can't do this on my own. God, be there for me. God, do something, and God does something, and you forget that it was God's faithfulness that brought you out, and then you begin to think it was your own power. I'm gonna call this kind of section poverty test and prosperity test. I wanna say it to you ahead of time. Most of you will pass, pass the poverty test. Not many of you will pass the prosperity test. Poverty test means things aren't going well for me. I'm crying out to God, I've got struggle, and you know where I go? I go to the church house. But when things are going well for me and I got money in the bank and my needs are met, I don't go to the church house, I go to the lake house. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, I know what's up. Don't look at me in that religious tone of voice. We do this, and I'm helping you to see how it has control over you, and you don't even see how it works. It is, it's, it's, an, it's an endeavor by the enemy to wear you down. You run, you're running a business, and you've got no customers. You ask God to bless your name. You make promises to God. God, if you just, if you just do this, then I'll do that. And then God does this and you don't do that. You know what that makes, you know what we call that? We call that lying. Yeah. You said, I would do this, God. I will do this if you get me out of this jam. I will never do that again. This one I've seen over and over and it drives me wild. For 20 years I've seen this. People who have a spouse that doesn't connect with them at church, they pray for that person. I've seen people pray for decades and their spouse comes to Christ, and all of a sudden that spouse, was, that was the prayer, they're gone. I'll never see him again. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'll go, to, I'll go another step further. I've heard this before. Oh, once I retire, I'll have all kinds of time to give to God. You don't know how good I'm preaching right now, I'm helping you. I'm helping you because they say, oh, I got all this time, I'm gonna give it to God. What is it? They're not bad people. Look, there's not a, it's, not a, it's not about you being or someone being a bad person or, or, or bringing judge, being judgmental. It's saying, this is what the enemy does. Don't be confused about his schemes. That's my job is to herald to you that you fall and pray to something that you don't even know is eating your lunch and it's the reason why, why you're fatigued, exhausted, you've got no passion, you have no, you, have no, um, you have no hope for what is going to happen in the future, you're stuck in, in depression and discouragement because watch this, watch this, as our connectedness has gone up to the world around us, so has our anxiety and stress. Yeah. I'm not picking on anybody, but what I think, what I think would be a good remedy for a bunch of young kids is for all the parents to take away their devices for 24 hours and give them a bike and let them go ride bikes in the dirt and come home when the street lights come on like we did in the 80s. And I wa you watch the depression leave and the anxiety be reduced. Yeah. Now listen, I'm not giving a blanket statement and making it a complicated issue overly simple. But what I'm saying is some of these things are a mess of our own making. These cycles of self-sabotage. So what's the answer, right? 
you, you, see the, you see the problem. What do we call it? I'm, I'm, I'm reading two books. I, I say that. I'm reading two books that speak to this. I'm, I'm kind of reading eight books right now. During the summer, I try to read at least two books a week if I can. Um, some of them are short and so on and so forth. But um, two of the books that me- were worth mentioning are How the Mighty Fall by Jim Collins, who also wrote Good to Great. It's a secular book, and he, he chronicles companies and how they fail. And then another book called The Seven Enemies of Excellence. And this is about the, the collapse of culture, church, society. Both of them arrive at the same conclusion of what the number one cause of collapse is for companies, for culture, for society, for churches. The number one cause is pride and ego. This is what the God of power wants to do in your life. Make you think you got it handled and you don't need anyone else, right? I just wanna recall this to your, bring this to your attention. If you were to simply write the word pride out, I is at the center of the word pride. That's how you can know if you're living in that space. Are you revolving around you? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12 says this. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. The good news is we can, we can make adjustments, right? So pride is the result. And um, I won't have time this week to get all the way through it, but let me just dabble into the solution. Pride is the result of the God of power in our li- working in our lives. So all this stuff that we're taking on that we've just described results in us having pride and arrogance and ego elevated in an unhealthy degree in our life. Write this phrase down if you would please. Pride makes excuses. Humility makes adjustments. That is the wisdom that it takes to say, I don't have to continue to be consumed by these cycles of self-sabotage from this God of power that I can now see is at work in my life. Um, And if there's anything I can do to help you avoid that destructive cycle, that's what I wanna do. So what is the antidote for pride and ego? Well, it's obviously humility, but how how is that humility expressed? How do I live that out? I think there's a few ways, but the simplest way that I want to offer is a solution to the warring with this God, fixing the thing that's breaking you. The antidote for pride and the God of power is honoring the Sabbath. Just so we're clear, the Sabbath is a day, but more importantly, it's a principle. It's a principle that requires rest. While we'll argue about what day of the week is the Sabbath, we'll forget about the principle that's at the heart of that. Someone says, how is rest the antidote for pride? Really simple. Really simple and straightforward. We often get to the point 
where we work so hard and we work so often that we're driven to do that work because we found our self-worth and our self-identity attached to the outcomes that we create by the work of our hands, which is exactly what the children of Israel were saying. We did this, we did this, we did this. How did you rain manna down from heaven? I got that customer. How'd you do that? All by yourself? It is God working in us. The same can be applied to me. When we started this church, man, I was praying morning, afternoon, and night. I'd drive around the city and I'd take authority and take territory and doing all the charismatic things I was taught to do and just doing it over and over and over again. I'd weep over the city and I'd cry over the city. And then some growth started happening and I had to deal with this thought of, you did this. You did this. What would this church do without you? Probably a whole lot. Why would I say that? Because I refuse to come to the place where I believe that this place or anything like it is dependent on me. We as a church are to be dependent on God and God alone. Right now, if that's good for the preacher, and that's good for the pastor, that's good for the believer, the business owner, the teacher, the coach, the politician, the whomever, right? So let, let, me, let me get back. God-centered rest breaks the power of this God of power in our life. I say that and I make that connection. Let me go back and make that connection because I almost didn't, didn't have that loose end. How is rest the antidote for pride? Because some of you in the room, when you do rest, you feel guilty about not doing anything. And that's pride. <laughs> some of you feel pressure. I've got to do more, I've got to live up to more. I'm not good enough yet, I've gotta keep on going. I, I won't be happy until I've outpaced dad or granddad or granddad-in-law and until my net worth is here and I got all this pressure on my life. That's pride. It is God that gives you the power to produce those results. Some of us are, are, in, are in denial. I don't need rest. Rest is what weak people need. Rest is what old people need. Rest is what happens before you die. That's pride. Let me show you why I say it that strongly. In Exodus chapter 20, verse eight. Y'all doing well? Okay. I'll accept your testimony. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. Remember, Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. We read in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> in case you don't get it, he, he elaborates. This includes you. <laughs> this includes your sons and daughters. Your male and your female servants, they didn't even let the employees work. Your livestock and any foreigners living among you. Here's the punchline. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he 
What's that word? Who's that talking about? God rested. You telling me you can go 24-7 and not need rest? You're in denial. God worked six days and took a day to take off and take a break. If God needed rest, who are you to think you don't? That you're exempt from it. He, he did this as an example. Um, am I being too strong? I feel like I'm, I'm up against a, a, a decades and decades of generational thinking that I'm just having to chisel away at. And that's what I'm trying to do. Like, like we need, this, is, this is for our good, right? Um, Jesus asked about this. He says this to the, to the religious leaders. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You weren't meant to obey the Sabbath as another weight that you carry on your shoulders. This is meant to be a blessing so that you can conquer this God of power in your life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get more into the specifics next week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up with this. I, I knew I couldn't get it all in, in one part. So today was like kind of the, the theological foundational portion. And next week I'm gonna be real practical because I, I know I can hear some of you already thinking through this. How do I do that? How do I do that, Pastor Josh? You're telling me I gotta take one day of rest. First off, no, I'm not. I didn't say that. Someone's like, yeah, you did, I just heard you. No, I didn't. I told you what God said. That's a big difference, ladies and gentlemen. That's a, that's a big difference. I will not take credit for his word. He has to take credit for his word and make it come to pass in your life. I'm just telling you what he said. I'm just here heralding to you the purpose and the necessity of you fixing the things that are breaking you. Because everywhere I go, I'm getting tired of seeing people who are tired. Yeah. It's wearing me out. I cannot tell you the last time I walked up to someone and said, hey, how you doing? How's your energy level? And like, man, I've got the strength of an 18-year-old and the wisdom of an 80-year-old. Nobody ever says that to me. It's like, whoo, been a rough week. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. It's the exhaustion level amongst the people that I'm interacting with right here is through the roof. I'm showing you to the best of my ability with God's help, how to fix it. Let me show you how the Jewish people honor the Sabbath. Next week, we'll dive deeper, show you exactly how, because as I said, I know some are like, what are the practicalities of it? Josh, you work one day a week, of course you're gonna talk about rest. <laughs> Can I tell you that I have, if there's one of the 10 commandments that I've violated more than any other, it's this one. Over the cares and concerns of you, the people of God. I'm not telling you a sad story. I'm telling you that I'm not exempt. It wears me out. That's not, again, that's not for you to feel bad. That's on me. It's the people pleaser pride in me that can't say no and has to feel like it has to do everything for everyone whenever they ask. And over time, I've grown to the place where I've made people mad because I wasn't there at every beck and call because they didn't understand that, listen, I can't have a family and a life that's sound and whole and strong if I'm neglecting them to be with you because you've mismanaged your life. 
this preacher getting preachy. Come on, help me, Daniel. Help me out of this fiasco. How the Jewish people honor the Sabbath, number one, not working for wages, not competing for rewards, making time to relax and do nothing. Some of y'all are freaking out at that. <laughs> Reading and studying religious materials, being playful and enjoying your family, taking leisurely strolls. I got to talk about this one. Because my wife always wants me to go on a walk with her. And I always say no. Oh, isn't that sad? <laughs> she's got a tough, she's got such, because it's a tough life. I have the audacity to tell my wife no every once in a while. It's what a, what a mean guy. <laughs> there are guys in here thinking, God, a boy, Pastor Josh, good for you. I got your back just in silence. My wife will ask me to go for a walk and I'll say no. You want to know why? Because she doesn't want to do a leisurely stroll. She does this. <laughs> she's small, but she's fast. I mean, she's gone. Like, I mean, I don't even know how she makes it move that fast. I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's work. <laughs> but if she would say, Josh, let's take a leisurely stroll. I'm up for that. You know what a leisurely stroll is? You go as far or as short as you want and you turn around and go home. Get to the end of my driveway, I'm done, let's go back. <laughs> I know I'm having a little bit of fun, but at the same time, the, the spirit of rest is that way. It's, it's a relaxing thing. There's no pressure attached to it. When's the last time you'd had four hours that you said was a no pressure zone in your life? Like, no, I gotta bring you to a point of decision now. I can't, I can't just lead you to it and then let you off the hook. A, le a leisurely stroll, enjoying meals with your family and friends. Here's a, here's a fascinating one that the Jewish people do to honor the Sabbath. They talk to each other. Incredible. They go to religious services and they pray and they meditate. What does rest do? I have to finish. It's the antidote for pride because it gets you out of the you mindset. And it, we'll see more about this. Rest creates an opportunity for you to trust God. Because it says, there has to come a moment where you've learned to believe God to the extent where the battle is raging, the war is on, and you sit back and you say, um, the battle isn't mine, the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm gonna trust him to fight my battle for me, and that means I'm gonna rest. Now listen, I'm not talking to lazy people who are using this as an excuse to violate other passages of scripture. I'm talking about the person who is exhausted and run down and up against it over and over and over again. Anxiety's through the roof. Uh, energy is in the basement. And you're just like, I don't know what to do. Rest creates, an, it's, a, it's a faith proposition. It takes faith to wake up and say, today is my Sabbath, leave me alone to the people around you. And we're gonna talk about this with kids and stuff next week, okay? Because I know, I know. Talk about this with farmers, with kids, with people who are self-employed, exactly how to do it. It's the reminder that God is my source, he's my shield and my defender. Second, rest keeps me from falling apart. Let me say it to you this way. If you do not honor the Sabbath, the principle, not a day, because 
spoiler alert, Sunday's not my Sabbath. Sabbath was made for me. I wasn't made for the Sabbath. I can decide whenever I want what day it is. I'm not asking you to come under the bonds of, of legalism and ritualistic rules that don't have any life in them. I understand the ebbs and flows of life, and so does God. So for some of you, today might be a Sabbath. You've started by being in church today. Beautiful, beautiful expression of that. You may go home and, and share a meal with your family and then do nothing, getting ready for tomorrow. Beautiful. Some of you, you've got a list of things to do, and you're expecting your spouse to finish the deck this afternoon before dinner time. It's like, okay, maybe that's today, but what did you do yesterday? Like, which day did you rest? It's an opportunity to keep your life from falling apart. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I'm gonna close with this. Um, Jesus says this very plainly. Next week, as I said, practical. This week, just receive the spirit of what I'm saying to you. Here's, here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what Jesus promises. You say, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm broken. He says, just come to me, and the exchange will be rest. 